My cat came home covered in blood yesterday, and it's led to a terrifying discovery. Written by Notice Obscurity I know what you're thinking. The cat probably killed a bird or scratched himself up, and initially I had thought the same. But then things got weird. And look, I'm not even into spooky stuff. I'm a project manager at a tech company, and my girlfriend, Sam, is the most logic-minded person I know. She's a science teacher. And listen, we don't live in a weird place that gives off Netflix murder mystery vibes either. Quite the opposite, in fact. Sam and I live in a small English town off the motorway, the kind of idyllic place with hamlets and cobblestones and an old church that was built some 500 years ago. Everything about it is fashioned like it could be pulled out of one of those town and country type of magazines. A place full of old men who still doff their cap at women when walking their dogs, and where it's so safe you see young kids walk to school over the cobblestone streets every morning. Sometimes it feels like we've walked into the 1950s, and true to form, the internet can be a little dodgy, but the beauty and warmth of the little place makes up for any small inconveniences. Our little blue cottage is on the far end of town, up the hill that leads out, and we always considered ourselves lucky to find it. Even if the kitchen was too small, at least we got a decent-sized back garden. Our landlady was a kind woman who lived two towns away. She was one of the few landlords that allowed cats on her property, and we moved in with our little black cat Byron on a cold February day when the grass in our front lawn was frosted and the ivy growing along the walls was utterly bare. That was two years ago, and honestly, we've had no complaints. We've had an IT guy in a couple of times to help us with the internet, but by and large, everything's worked the way it should, and we've been happy here. At least we were, until that night. In the English countryside, a lot of us let our cats roam free, and our cat was a feral rescue. Given the lack of cars around us, and the motorway being far enough away not to be a worry, we'd let Byron out to roam in the back garden in the woods. He'd scamper off during the day, black tails swishing, and come back for dinner in the evening when we called him. The woods began behind our house and stretched all the way to the lavender fields, and sometimes Sam and I would take walks through the path that began behind our house. Our neighbors were charming. The town was charming. Our life felt charmed, too. Would have stayed that way forever if Byron hadn't come home one day Black fur slicked with what looked like liquid from head to toe, eyes wild, meowing a deep, hideous mule that I'd never, ever heard from him. Sam and I were sitting in the garden after eight, and it had been a hot summer day due to the heat wave. Sam was wearing a pale pink summer dress, and I was in shorts. We just finished eating our dinner when Byron appeared on the fence, his green eyes wild. He came tearing over to Sam and jumped on her lap. She laughed initially. Byron had always been a big baby and very attached to her. But then she wrinkled her nose. 
A strange metallic smell wafted into the air. The kind of smell you get when you walk past an alleyway behind a butchery. Except this was so strong, it made me sick. Sam looked green too as she lifted Byron and sniffed him gingerly, then winced and put him on the ground. What is it, babe? I asked, although I had a horrible feeling I knew what it was. Byron was extremely agitated, and he wouldn't stop mewling. Sam turned to me to speak, and I sat back, my eyes wide. What the fuck? My girlfriend's pale pink dress was covered in crimson stains. Her hands were slick with deep, unmistakable red that could only be blood. She followed my gaze down to her dress and gasped. Oh, God! At the time, I didn't think much of it, but right behind Sam, I thought I saw a tall, dark shadow move through the woods, a soft crunching of leaves under shoes. It was only a second, though, and I was quickly distracted by Byron again, who was laying on his side on the ground, still mewling. Without another word, Sam picked Byron up, who was still crying, and we rushed inside the house. She put him in the cat carrier, and I raced outside to start the car as she washed her hands. When she came out, she'd changed, and the cat carrier was in her arms. We didn't even speak as we drove out to the vet in a panic. If Byron was injured, he needed to be seen now. I'd never seen so much blood come from such a small thing before in my life. Byron mewled and mewled inside the cat carrier, and Sam was as white as a sheet. We had lost a cat before, and Sam had taken it so badly that she hadn't got out of bed for two days straight. I leaned over and touched her arm to reassure her. Don't worry. He's a tough little shit. He'll be fine. I glanced over at her with a slight smile, but she didn't smile back. Luckily, the vet was only a five-minute drive from the house, and country vets tend to be a little more available than city ones, so we were able to get Byron through reception quite quickly. Sam looked like she was going to burst into tears in the waiting room. Byron wouldn't stop mewling, and I felt completely helpless. What had happened to Byron? Had a fox attacked him? He didn't seem physically hurt, just covered in blood. Where was he bleeding from? Byron? Dr. Martin poked his head out of the examination room. He gave us a smile, and his eyes twinkled beneath his glasses. Byron's mewling grew a bit softer at the sound of Martin's voice. He loved Martin, who always had treats for him at the end of every examination. Martin, tall, balding, and still smiling, opened the door to let us all in. So, what happens to be the problem? I cleared my throat as Sam put Byron down on the stainless steel table. We were hoping you could tell us. He's crying and he's covered in blood, but he won't let us check him to see where it's coming from. Martin pushed his glasses up the bridge of his nose and headed to the cat carrier. He opened it, and Byron cautiously stepped out. Something really wasn't right here. 
He was acting so unlike his usual friendly self. Martin ran a gloved hand down his fur and then lifted his fingers to the light. Well, it's definitely blood. Carefully, he checked Byron's mouth, nose, his fur, and even examined his rear. He looked up. Nothing. Not even a scratch. Something felt a bit odd about the way he said this. He didn't seem surprised. He didn't seem, I don't know, as concerned as I would imagine a vet would be. But I felt Sam nearly pass out from relief next to me. He's okay then? Martin nodded, a large smile on his face that didn't reach his eyes. Well, he's definitely not injured. Something's just shaking him up. He might have killed a bird in the woods. That's a lot of blood for one little bird. The involuntary thought popped into my head. I noticed he took a swab and wiped some of the now drying blood on it. Then he buzzed for the nurse. Can you wash young Byron with the medicated shampoo, please? He's made a right mess of himself. Before the red-headed nurse took Byron to the next room, Martin gave him a treat. He must have noticed my expression as I looked at the swab, and he smiled reassuringly. I'm going to run some tests on the blood just to be safe. We'll let the nurse clean him to see if there's anything we missed, but you should be able to take him home today. Sam breathed another sigh of relief. Thank you so much, Martin. Do you know when you'll have the results? Martin chuckled. Us in the backwaters here? Uh, about a week or so, I think. It'll have to go to London to get tested. He saw Sam's ashen face and quickly added, I promise you'll be the first person I call when the results are in. Thanks, I said, ushering Sam out and giving Martin a smile. Sam sat in the yard, still a bit pale but clearly doing better. In about 40 minutes, Jenny, the nurse, brought Byron out to us. He's been lovely as always, a bit tired now, so he should sleep right through the night. I kneeled and looked at Byron in the carrier, and a pair of bright emerald eyes glinted back at me. He meowed softly and padded at the cage door, asking for cuddles. In a minute, mate, let's get you home. I paid the bill, which was a whopping hundred quid, as Sam took the cat carrier back to the car. As we drove out, I saw Jenny and Martin standing at the front of the clinic, watching us. We waved at them, but they didn't wave back. Instead, they just stared at us as we drove away like we were strangers they'd never met. Byron slept between us that night. He was usually a more independent cat. It's like he knew something was going to go wrong. Sam sleepily stroked his belly, and I watched her hand repeat this movement until I slowly fell asleep. The next day, everything felt different. I don't know what exactly it was. It's like the flavor and taste of the whole house had changed. You know when you wake up the day after losing someone you love, and everything feels like it's just... gray? It was that feeling. But neither Sam nor I had lost anything, 
In fact, Byron was fine. He woke up and was as playful as always. Still, Sam and I didn't even speak to each other as we usually do when we first get up. We spend a few minutes cuddling and talking before one of us makes coffee. Today, I tried to speak to her before I got up, but she was facing away from me. She just got up, fed the cat, and got dressed like a robot. Her skin was still pale, and I reached out to squeeze her hand after I came out of the shower, and she didn't squeeze it back. It was like she was a ghost, and the real Sam wasn't even there. I tried to put it down to the fright she'd had the previous day. We left for work, barely even saying goodbye properly to each other, when usually we hug each other so tight, knowing it's the last time we'd see each other for eight hours. As soon as my car hit the motorway, I felt a wave of relief pass through me. When I parked in the car park to my office and picked up a coffee and sausage roll from the cafe around the corner, I practically had a spring in my step. What was happening? Why was I so relieved to be away from my cozy little home life with Sam? I usually counted the minutes to getting home, but today my gray desk and my gray little cubicle with the ugly fluorescent lighting looked like the most inviting thing I'd ever seen. I sat down to start doing back-end stuff for clients, and the hours ticked by fast, too fast. I worked through lunch without realizing it. Before I knew it, it was 4 p.m., usually the time I would start perking up, but instead, a hard knot had formed in my stomach. I started feeling queasy. Something felt wrong. I texted Sam a, Hey, are you home yet? She got off work earlier than me. I didn't get a response back, and I tried to ignore the rising panic in the back of my throat. Sam always got back to me quickly around now because we would plan dinner over text in my last hour at the office. She would usually already be cooking by the time I got home, and then I would take over and let her put her feet up. It was our routine. Today just felt off. The clock hit five, and with my heart beating fast, I walked to my car. Putting the key in the ignition felt like signing my own death warrant. What is wrong with you? Nothing's happened and you're acting like the world's going to end. I told myself, annoyed as I backed out of the car park. I paused and put on a ridiculously happy playlist to buoy my mood, but the feeling of dread was well and truly settled in my gut now. The whole way home, I kept glancing at my phone, hoping to hear from Sam. Nothing. I turned off the motorway towards my house, and something kept calling me back, as though this would be the end of something, as if this drive that I did five days a week was leading me to my death, and I was just ambling along, transfixed towards it. Sam's car was in the driveway. I looked at it, then back at my phone, and frowned. The ping of a text came through. I grabbed it to read it. It was from Sam, but it was so odd. Now it is in the woods. That's it. Nothing else. I texted her back. I'm home. 
Are you in the garden? Should we get takeaway? There was nothing back for some time. Then I saw the three gray dots of her typing come up. My phone pinged again. Now it is in the garden. Again, this was starting to freak me out. It almost felt like someone had stolen Sam's phone and was texting from it. My heart, already beating fast, was starting to race. Hands slightly trembling, I texted her back. Sam? Are you okay? Again, those three dots. Then they stopped. Truly panicked now, my heart drumming so hard it felt like it was pounding in my head. I opened the car door and used my key on our front door, letting myself in. The house was dark. Every single curtain was drawn. I called quietly into the abyss. Sam? And then I heard it. The sound of feet running across the back wall of my house, as if someone was running along it at full speed and making their way around the corner of the house to run across the wall to my side. And I locked the front door behind me just as I heard the feet pause on the door. Then I heard a heavy, unmistakable foot stomp on the wood. I backed into my darkened living room, my chest tight with fear. The thudding continued. My phone pinged again. I looked down. It was another message from Sam. Now it is inside the house. As soon as I got that message, the thudding stopped. I frantically looked at my phone screen, the only light in the room, and I called Sam. Straight to voicemail. Desperate, I backed further into the house, blindly trying to find the back door to the garden as I texted her. Sam, where are you? Another three dots formed, and my breathing nearly stopped. I tried calling her again, still straight to voicemail. I scrambled for the doorknob on the wall, using my phone as light. Just as I'd found it and began to turn the knob, that dreaded ping sound resounded across the dark room. Slowly, I turned the face of my phone to look at it. My hand trembled on the doorknob, wanting to turn it as I read, Now it is in front of you. I froze and slowly shone the light in front of me. At first, there was nothing, but then the sound of several joints cracking filled my ears from above. Slowly, sweat dripping from my brow and my whole body telling me not to, I looked up to see a pair of filthy, bloody feet with every single one of the toenails ripped out. I didn't wait to look further up. I opened the door to the back garden and ran, leaping over the fence into the woods. The sound of joints cracking, the loud footsteps chased me, as though whatever was making that sound was at my heels. I ran faster and faster, knowing that if I kept going, eventually I would get past the trees and into the lavender fields just beyond, and maybe I could run to the farmer's house. And maybe, but 
Something was wrong. The woods were wrong. The trees felt bigger. The path seemed to twist and turn to another path, and then another, and then another. And all along, the thing kept up with me. It wouldn't stop. The woods seemed to have lost their end point. If I could take a moment to use the map on my phone, I would be able to get out of here. But I couldn't stop because the thing could get me and... Suddenly, I stopped. The sound of joints clicking and running behind me also stopped. There, in the middle of the path, was a door. A large crimson door where nothing should be. There was nothing else, no house attached to it, just a door. Then I heard it, Sam's voice, just beyond the door. Nick! Nick, help me! Sam! Hang on, baby, I'm coming! I screamed, racing toward the sound. But as I ran around the door to reach the sound of her voice, it was suddenly coming from behind me. I turned, puzzled. I hadn't even noticed the thing that was tailing me was gone. I ran backwards past the door again, thinking I'd misheard Sam's voice. Nick! I'm here! The voice was behind me again. I wanted to cry in frustration. I was scared and panicked, and I was so sure something had happened to Sam. Her voice sounded so far away, but she was in pain. I knew she was. Sam, where are you? My brain thudded against my skull, and I sank to the floor, holding my head. No, no, I couldn't give up. I had to find Sam. I had to... I heard a quiet, unmistakable meow right next to me. I looked down to see Byron rubbing his little head against my side. I reached down, trembling to touch his head, half afraid he was an illusion. He purred and rubbed his head against my hand. I choked back a sob. He was real, and I was so relieved to see him. I picked him up and buried him against my chest, taking in his soft warmth. Tears began to fall down my cheeks as I rocked him. Where's your mom, Byron? What's happened to your mom? Byron just meowed, not understanding what was going on, but made no move to leave me. I buried my face in his fur to hide my tears, and then suddenly Byron hissed and wriggled against me. I looked up, letting him go, and he ran into the woods. I wanted to stop him, but there, right ahead of me, was Sam. She was facing away from me, facing a tree trunk. But it was her. I knew her long red hair anywhere, and I stumbled to my feet, yelling, Sam! But as I ran towards her, I slowed. She was wearing the same dress from yesterday, but it was more dark red than pink. Blood caked her legs and arms, and her feet... Her feet were facing me. Sam was facing the tree, and her feet were facing me. Contorted feet. Feet with nails ripped out. Bloody feet. 
I stumbled back as the horrible realization swept through me with violence. I wanted to throw up. Oh, Nick. Sam's teasing voice bounced off the tree trunk. Nick, Nick, Nick. Her voice became more guttural as her pronunciation of my name became more and more nonsensical until it was a demonic cracking of joints. And then Sam twisted her entire neck towards me. That's when I saw it. Her face. I stifled a horrifying cry when I saw her face. There were bloody sockets where her eyes should be. Her mouth was wide in a smile, but every single one of her teeth was missing. It was like someone had taken a knife and carved everything away, leaving nothing but a bloody mess. Her tongue jutted around madly, her mouth mangled as she gargled from her blood-filled lips. And now it is in the woods. And now it is in the garden, and now it is in the house, and now it is in front of you, and now it is in the woods, and now it is in the garden, and now it is in the house, and now it is in front of you. She was saying it so fast, the words weren't making sense, and she was reaching for me, her mangled, twisted, open wound of a mouth repeating the words over and over, and I stumbled back from her, my eyes wide, until my back hit the crimson door, and Sam's hands were on my shirt as she grabbed me and pulled me close. I could almost taste the drying blood on her face. The decay of her had already begun. My hands, finally realizing they could do something, tried to push her rigid, wrong body away from me, but she was obscenely strong, and she gripped me hard and kissed me with that wound where her lips should be. Nausea hit me so hard, it made my knees weak. I threw up then, struggling against her. As I did this, she pushed me hard, and I fell through the open door, and kept falling and falling and falling through the darkness. I hit water. At least I thought it was water. There was a strange, strong smell I couldn't place. In the darkness, I couldn't tell what it was, and my eyes took some time to adjust. I moved my hands in front of me blindly and touched something smooth and cold. It felt like... My fingers dipped, and I realized I was touching the eye sockets of a skull. I gasped and fell back into the water. By now, my eyes had adjusted a bit, and I saw that I was sitting amongst several decaying corpses, mountains of them, and I was sitting in blood. I wanted to run out screaming, but shock paralyzed me to the spot. Whatever had done that to them would soon come back for me, and I think I would have stayed there, white-faced with shock, if I hadn't heard a soft meow from behind the mountain of bodies before me. It was Byron. He rubbed his head against my wet shirt, and I realized that this is where he must have got blood all over him from. I touched his head gently and saw he was already moving away. 
It occurred to me he must know a way out. I followed him carefully. My vision in this dark cave-like place was in and out. Luckily, he was meowing and I could hear him. I can't tell you how relieved I was to see the light. I almost cried. Byron came up to me and I hugged him, both of us soaked in blood. It was the forest and it was getting darker, but at least I wasn't in a cave full of corpses. I nearly ran, seeking the edge of the forest adamantly, Byron struggling in my arms. Finally, I found an edge by the side of the road and collapsed there, still holding my cat tight. I didn't even notice the elderly couple stop their car and jump out to ask if I was alright. I didn't even feel them guiding me to their car. I'm now sitting here in the accident and emergency room. They had to pry Byron out of my arms, and the nurse is watching him because I screamed bloody murder when they took him away from me. All I can think of is Sam. Her face, her eyes, those woods, and the pile of corpses in that cave. I know it wasn't her who did that. It couldn't be. But they've tried calling Sam many times now. She's nowhere to be found. They say they keep getting her voicemail. Her work says she hasn't been in for a week, which makes no sense at all because it was only today that she was acting any different. The hospital has called the police. I can see from the dark clothes that a cop is walking towards me. His face is heavy with suspicion, and I'm starting to realize just what Sam's disappearance and my turning up looking like this looks like. But just the thought of it is utterly absurd. I didn't do a thing to Sam. Sam nearly killed me. Didn't she? I found a creepy photo album that belongs to my wife, but she denies ever seeing it. Written by Notice Obscurity. My wife Isabel and I met because of a murder in our freshman year at college. Her dorm had been blocked by the cops because a girl we both knew had been found stabbed 42 times in her bed. The killer had taken her eyes, mouth, nose with him. The strangest thing was that not one person in that crowded dorm heard her scream. Isabel lived a few rooms down from the scene and I saw her standing at the very center of the crowd, her arms wrapped around Christy, the victim's roommate, who was white with shock. They looked terrified and still in their pajamas, but Isabel turned and her blue eyes met mine. Something in her gaze was so sad and scared that I knew right then in that moment I needed to protect her. I went up to ask if I could help in any way, and ended up spending the day helping Isabel look after Christy. After that, we were pretty much inseparable. I was there for her when the police announced they were trying to search for the killer, but had no leads. He struck again a few towns over, exact same M.O., and then again a town over from there. The press began to call him the College Butcher. 
Isabel spent more time at my room after that. She was majoring in literature, so I'd find notes strewn across the room about everything from Dante's Inferno to Austin's Pride and Prejudice. I didn't mind, though. Isabel was beautiful, kind, and funny, and someone who lived a very normal life until that point, so I could understand the shock. She loved her parents, had two younger sisters, and the first time I met her parents for Christmas, I almost resented my own parents for not welcoming me nearly as warmly as they welcomed us into their home. It was perfect, too perfect, and I should have been smarter, wiser, but I was young, stupid, and deeply in love. We got married a few years after college, after I'd got a job as a software developer, and she'd got a job working as a teacher at the local high school. We bought a house in a quiet, safe neighborhood, in a quiet, safe town, and for a while, everything seemed so good. For ten whole years, everything has been good. Until three weeks ago, when I decided to clear out the attic, because I could swear I heard something skittering up there when I was getting ready to leave in the morning. Thinking it was mice or rats, I told Isabel in the kitchen that night while she was adding the finishing touches to the bolognese and I was pouring us a couple of glasses of wine. I think there's something in our attic, I said casually as I passed her the glass of wine. I'm going to go give it a clear out, see if it's a rat or something. When she said nothing... I looked at her face. It was completely pale, and she was staring at me with something I could not place in her eyes. It wasn't fear. It was something else. Don't go up there. I'll deal with it. I frowned. I really think it's something small, and I've been wanting to clean up that place for a while. Let me deal with it. She stared at me then, and a sort of involuntary shudder went up my spine. Jack, do not go up there. Promise me. I nodded slowly, confused. We respected and loved each other, and I wouldn't want to hurt her in any way. And given how stressed she was, I knew I had to listen to her. But she may as well have dangled a chocolate chip cookie in front of my face and told me not to ever touch it. So... I waited until she left for work one morning and went up there. The attic was dark, but we had a light in the middle of the room. Regardless, I had my phone's light I could rely on. Since ours was an older house, we had actual stairs leading up to the attic as opposed to a ladder, and when I walked to the end of the hallway and opened the door that led to the attic, I swore I heard a creak at the top of the stairs. The kind of creak only a foot can make when it lands on a faulty floorboard. The hair at the back of my neck stood up as though a cold draft had blown into the hall. I squinted into the darkness at the top of the stairs and softly asked, Hello? As the moments passed, rationality caught up with me. How stupid was I to think there was something up there. Annoyed at myself, I climbed, grasped my phone and flicked the light, and with more confidence than I truly possessed, 
I walked up the stairs, listening to each stair creak as I did. The attic was creepier than I remembered it. It was actually a space I'd planned to convert into a game room of sorts, but Isabel had talked me out of it, and honestly, over the years, I'd forgotten how big it was. It was your average attic in many ways. Dusty, wooden floors, a small window at the end of the room overlooking the neighborhood. But it was spacious. Sure, it held all our junk, but even so, the boxes and the couple of pieces of old furniture took up such little space at the far end of the room. I remember thinking how nice skylights would be in the sloping ceiling. Why had Isabel, who was so organized and wanted all the rooms in the house to be used, so keen to leave this as it was? A slight unease had started to make its way around the corners of my mind. As if on autopilot, I walked to the end of the attic where the five boxes which contained Isabel's things were lying. Part of me was screaming that this was a massive invasion of her privacy, but... I didn't care by that point. I wanted to see what was in there that was making my wife act so strange about this particular room. I sat cross-legged on the dusty floor and pulled the first box to me, opening it up. The first box was just some old clothes that she'd kept for sentimental value. T-shirts signed by friends, a few old sweatshirts, nothing that really piqued my curiosity. The next book was just some old books which she didn't want to part with, but for some reason wouldn't keep in the bookcase I'd built her in the living room. When I reached the third box, something in me hesitated. I think a part of me knew that my life was going to change after I opened this box. Some strange sixth sense. Carefully, I unsealed the box and looked inside, and a sigh of relief overcame me. It was just framed photographs in a photo album. I smiled and lifted the first one, Isabel and her sisters laughing as children at her fourth birthday. Some were of her parents and others of us. Then something struck me. Why hadn't she put these photos up downstairs? That weird chill was back. The box only held the large brown leather photo album now, and my heart racing, I opened it to its first page. It was a large black and white photo of a small girl on a swing facing away from the camera. That in itself was creepy, but the creepiest thing about the photo was another little girl in a white dress who was standing at the edge of the woods looking at the girl on the swing. It was almost as if she was looking at me through the photo. The next page had the same little girl on the swing, playing on the jungle gym, smiling as she swung from the bars. Behind her, the strange little girl stood, watching her every move, her eyes cold, her mouth a thin line. Page after page of this little girl living her life and the strange girl standing on the edges, watching her. As the girl grew up, I recognized her to be Isabel. And the girl watching her looked like her. A darker, angrier version of her. I swallowed hard, 
watching my wife's doppelganger grow closer, seeing photos of her in my room with the shadow of herself watching her. My vision swam and I felt sick. Snapping the album shut, I wedged it under my arm and fled the attic, taking the stairs two steps at a time down. As I closed the door and leaned my head against it, I took a slow, shuddering breath. What the fuck was going on? That evening, I waited for my wife to come home at the kitchen table, nursing my strongest whiskey in my hand as she walked in through the kitchen door. Hi, hun. She greeted me with a kiss and dumping the shopping bags full of groceries on the table. How was your day? I paused and slowly cleared my throat. I found it, Isabel. She was pulling milk out and was about to turn to the fridge to put it in when I said this. She frowned, putting the milk down on the table. What do you mean? I quietly lifted the album off my lap and put it on the table. This is why you didn't want me to go into the attic, right? The words came out harsher than I intended them to. She looked at the album, and her face turned pale as though she'd seen a ghost. But when she looked at me, she said, I've never seen that before in my life. And without another word, walked out of the room. I chased after her. Isabel, who is the girl in this? Look at me when I'm talking to you. I grasped her arm and turned her towards me. She slapped me hard across my face. My wife, who wouldn't even raise her voice at our cat when he scratched her, slapped me. I watched in open-mouthed shock as she stormed up the stairs into our bedroom and slammed the door. The album was still in my hand, the weight of it an omen. And that's when I heard it again. The skittering I'd been hearing from the attic. Except now it sounded like it was coming from our bedroom. What the fuck? I muttered. That's when the scraping started. It sounded like, like someone was very slowly clawing at the floorboards above me. My heart began to race as I slowly looked at the darkness at the top of the stairs. Why hadn't she switched the lights on when she went up there? Isabel? I called, my voice hoarse with fear. At first, there was nothing, but then I heard it. Isabel? A high-pitched voice mocked from the darkness. My blood ran cold. I was terrified. But the thought that my wife could be in danger was more overpowering. I ran up the stairs to our bedroom door. I found it wide open, with no trace of my wife inside. Isabel? I asked hesitantly, as I looked around the empty bedroom. That's when I felt it. A cold hand grabbed my ankle from under the bed. I screamed and pulled myself out of its grasp stumbling backwards until I fell against Isabel. She grabbed my hand and dragged me down the stairs. I told you not to go into the attic, 
she sobbed as she dragged me to the front door. Now you've let her out! You've let her into our lives! As we got outside, she rushed to the car. Hurry up, before she finds us! I jumped into the passenger seat without saying a word. Isabel, what the hell is going on? She started the car, and we zipped out of the driveway. I could see her knuckles were white from gripping the steering wheel so hard. She finally spoke, her eyes focused on the road. She's always been there, always angry. You see, I'm the one who got to live. What? I was more confused than ever. I'm a twin, Jack, she said to me quietly. I'm the twin that survived while she died in the womb. I looked at her, confused. So she's what? She's an evil spirit who wants a chance to live. And ever since I was born, she's been eating away at my life. That album was a way to trap her. Those photos were like talismans I used to keep her in there. Every single physical piece of evidence she exists. When we were in college and that awful thing happened, I went to a professional. She helped me trap her, and then... And then I opened up the album and let her out. I said softly. She nodded, a resigned sigh escaping her lips. She wants to be me, you understand? She won't stop until she's absorbed all of me. I was quiet. That's when I saw the movement in the mirror. Turning around, I saw the thing that wanted to be my wife sitting there, grinning at me. I yelled. Isabel slammed on the brakes. We didn't even see that truck coming. We didn't have a chance. When I woke up at the hospital later, a policeman was standing next to me, looking grim. I blearily tried to get up, but my whole body felt like a bruise, and I fell back onto the bed, breathing hard. Isabel, I whispered. Every part of my body hurt. Where was my wife? Mr. Taylor, the policeman said. I'm sorry to inform you that your wife was killed in the accident. The news hit me like a punch in the face. No. I strangled back a sob. No, 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 no. Sir, I am sorry for your loss, but you're going to need to answer some questions for us. The police officer pulled up a file and looked at me carefully. I nodded through the tears running down my face. We'd like to know why your DNA has showed up in a string of murder cases. Are you familiar with the case of the college butcher? If there's anything I've learned tonight, it's that some doors ought to remain closed, and some books should stay shut and tucked away. If you enjoyed these stories, please leave an upvote on the story at the links below and a like on this video. Subscribe for more horrifying tales like this one.